Acts chapter 21, we'll just be reading verses 10 through 14. The Apostle Paul, according to this account, is at Caesarea, and one event there we have been focusing on a little bit, or quite a bit. Acts 21.10, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. Let's pray once more before we dig in. Lord, we thank you for your word and its truth and its power. And these lessons that are here before us are here to strengthen us and correct our path and our walk in faith. And help us, Lord, to apply them to our lives as we faithfully seek to follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Fearless trust equals victory in Christ. But we have to have the object of that trust in Christ. We cannot just trust anything and everyone. We're talking specifically about trust in the one who died for us, trust in his word, trust in his way and his will. To say, I trust you, is always easy to say when there is no stress in a relationship. Trust is always, I trust you. That's always easy to say when... There's no stress in a relationship. To trust is the active exercise of faith that is invested in someone or on something with the expectation of certain performance by someone or something. I trust you. You are my friend. I trust you to be my friend for the rest of my life. I trust you to be my husband or my wife for the rest of my life. I trust you to keep promises. I trust you to be consistent in your behavior and your attitudes in the way you live. There are examples of trust I can use to illustrate. Trust in things, simple trust. The other day, you know, we like to trust our cars. When we go and buy our cars, we look at them, we evaluate them. Do they look nice? Do they look comfortable? Do they provide all of the things that we want? The stereos, the power windows, the Bluetooth. I started to call it blue teeth. But most important of all, we want that automobile to crank and run every single time and get us where we want to go every single time. It's Friday. I had a doctor's appointment. I went out and got into my car. 
Turn the key, click, 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 dead battery. We like to trust things, but they fail. I remember years ago using this as an example, a chair. Trusting a chair to sit in and hold you up. We do it every day. You're doing it now. It makes great slapstick comedies. They see one, somebody sit in a chair and it just collapse out from under them. It's very embarrassing for them, but it's quite funny for everybody who watches. Or it used to be. Chairs can fail, and sometimes they do. Cars can fail. Frequently, they do. That's simple trust. There is complex trust. We've already mentioned that that's the relational trust. And there is an emotional investment in a relational trust. And there's spiritual investment as well. You become emotionally and even, I would even say, spiritually bonded to a husband or wife. You're going to be the re- together for the rest of your life. And there are, it's not just a contract you're in agreement with. There is emotion that is involved. And there is a spiritual aspect to it as well. When God created Adam and Eve and brought them together in the garden and told them, the two shall be one flesh, that was talking about a spiritual bond as well as an emotional bond. Relational trust will grow as someone proves himself and herself trustworthy, whether it's a friendship or whether it's a marriage. Trust grows, it increases, it intensifies. When we trust someone, we can rest reassured without stress in the relationship. And that's always a good thing. It feels like home. It's comfortable. You are at peace. You can share burdens in a relationship like that. You can share problems and find like and get the sense that there is someone there to help you, someone there to support you. But even so, Sometimes earthly relationships fail, even the best of them. Trust is betrayed, trust is violated, and pain and disappointment take the place of peaceful trust. I think we all want to live pain-free, and pain is a source of stress and worry. I'm not talking about physical pain, but I'm talking about emotional, mental and even spiritual pain. We want to be free of it. We have a tendency to try and avoid it every time, every, every chance we can. If we ever enter into an earthly relationship, whether it be a friendship or a romance, we usually enter cautiously. How much shall I invest in this friendship? How much shall I invest in this relationship? And we constantly evaluate one another until someone proves himself or herself faithful and trustworthy. I remember years ago, I think, I remember when I met my future father and mother-in-law. 
Teresa made arranged a dinner to meet them at a restaurant and we went and she wanted to introduce me. Things were getting serious. And her, her mother was not completely happy about it. And I think it was at this conversation, at this table. Mom, one of the first times we went out to eat, we were sitting at a table and this really cute girl walked by and he never looked her way. He never looked, turned, her, turned his head toward her. And I said, at that moment, I, I felt pretty sure I could trust him. You young men, that's one of the rules you don't break. When you're with your favorite woman, you don't look at anybody else. Even when you're alone. Even when you're alone. There you go. Amen, brother. Simple faith, faith, faith in, or trust in things, and simple or complex trust, trust in relationships. We want, we want to focus in on complete faith this morning. We do not want to manage our faith in Christ the way we manage faith in anyone or anything else. We want our faith in Christ to be complete, full, finished, never wavering. He never wavers with us. He has kept his promises. He has fulfilled all, of he, all that he has said he would do. And he promises to be with us everlastingly. And we are the ones who fail. In Acts 21, 10 through 14, we looked at the situation where Paul is at church at Caesarea. And he has told them that he is going on to Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit and Agabus shows up, this prophet from Judea comes in and he says that the Holy Spirit told me they are going to tie you up and turn you over to the Gentiles. The church was afraid for Paul's safety. Both, both Paul and the church claimed to have heard a message from the Holy Spirit. Paul's response was fearless. Looking back again at Acts 20, verse 22. Behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. The Holy Spirit told Paul to go. You're going to be in prison. You're going to be tried. You're going to be persecuted. But you need to go. And in our text this morning, verses 10 and 11 of Acts 21, while we were staying for many days, the prophet named Agabus came down to Judea, from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his, hand, his own feet and hands and said, this, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns his belt, owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Here's the obvious question. Who was exercising complete trust in the Lord? Was it Paul wrong to press on knowing the danger? Was Paul wrong to, I'm going to Jerusalem. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go. 
Is it possible that Paul had been disobedient? Was Agabus and the church wrong to beg Paul to stay? I would say, yes, the church was wrong. And this is where we begin to see, shall I say, failure or weakness or lack of understanding in the early church. Paul's call had always been to surface, been to suffer. If you remember when Paul was converted, he was blinded. When Christ appeared to him and called him to be his servant, he was blinded for three days. And in Acts chapter 9, the Lord sent a man by the name of Ananias. Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority for the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument in, of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So from Paul's call to ministry by the Lord himself, the Lord told him, Paul, you're going to preach before kings and Jews and Gentiles. But you're also going to suffer. It's going to be physical suffering because you're going to be beaten, you're going to be chained, you're going to be imprisoned. Paul even gave his own testimony as a promise to give all that he had, Philippians 1.20 and 1.21, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now even Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul trusted his Savior without fear. Now, why did the Holy Spirit give Agabus and the others at the church a message about the dangers Paul would face? Not to keep Paul away from his mission. Not to try and turn him aside from his call or his purpose. But to pray for him, to encourage him. Paul was a missionary that needed the support of the church. The Holy Spirit very likely wanted, them to, wanted the church to tell Paul, we've got your back, brother. We will be praying for you. We will send you all the help we can. We've got your back. Paul was about to step into, when I say ma, since we are in the South, most people would say, oh, that's mom, mother. 
M-A-W, is the open mouth of a big animal, a bear, a tiger, or a lion. And any time I hear the word maw, I always get this picture in my head of that thing just roaring and about to bite down on somebody. Paul was about to step into the very maw of the Antichrist, but he had complete trust in his Savior. But it seems like he was going with lacking the prayers of the church. He went anyway. Complete and fearless trust of the Savior. Because his Savior, who is our Savior, had suffered for Paul, proving himself trustworthy. God's Son received the wrath of his own Father so so that you could have everlasting life. And we as believers understand that completely, but there are those in this world who say, oh, that's just cosmic child abuse, that God would punish his own Son for something he didn't do. Don't even go there. God's perfect law had been broken. Every one of us is guilty of breaking his law. We can offer nothing to God to atone for our rebellion. Titus 3, 3 through 5. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hating and hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness what we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Christ suffered on the cross, taking away the wrath of his Father so that you and I might live free, redeemed, saved. Romans 5, 6, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for good people, the nice people. Christ died for the ungodly. Can you trust him? Do you trust him as your savior? Do you know him as your Lord and redeemer? Do you follow him faithfully? We need to nurture, we need to develop this fearless trust in Christ because that brings us to victory in Christ. Everybody have, you've probably, if you follow Christianity around much in your life, You've probably heard people talking about victory in Christ so in a lot of churches, and sometimes I think we've even sung it here. Oh, victory in Jesus. But it still seems like we're dragging this chain of sin debt behind us. Temptations we can't shake free from. Where is the victory? Where do we overcome all of these things that just seem to cling 
Paul and Agabus received a word from the Holy Spirit. One correctly interpreted the meaning, one got it all wrong. Paul was appointed to go into danger. Agabus and the church should have taken the message from the Holy Spirit to encourage Paul and pray for him. How do you find and achieve victory in Christ? Fearless trust, no matter what. We usually avoid pain and things that frighten us. I don't want to get emotionally involved in something that's going to be painful. I don't want to get in, involved in anything that's going to be dangerous. I don't want to get in involved in anything that might embarrass me. I don't want to place myself in any place where I might fail. Do you remember the sermons the Lord gave his disciples? The very first sermon that inaugurated his ministry. He didn't hold any punches. Here's, here's my contract. I will die for you. I'm asking you to endure and die for me. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You've read it before. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And then he says, be glum and depressed and don't do anything else for me. No, he says, rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heavens. For so they persecuted the prophets which were before you. So when we experience persecution we go hallelujah everything's normal the Lord has called me to endure for his faith the Lord has called me to glorify him in the face of the Antichrist and if he hasn't appeared yet his spirit is here and I can show that to you from scripture his spirit has always been here So every time we pronounce the gospel, every time we share the gospel, we are doing it in the face and the resistance of the one whom this world has been given over to temporarily. And we are here to reclaim it. Matthew 10, 38, talking about fearless trust and victory in Christ, Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And I know you've heard messages about that before. Christ was using a picture in his time that, that exemplified dying. Everyone knew what the cross meant. That was Rome's perhaps it's one of the Rome's most violent ways to show people that they were oppressive and domineering and you don't mess with Rome because they would put the crosses up with people hung and nailed and tied to them all over the hillsides. You could see them for miles. If I were to bring that word up into modern vernacular times, 
so that we would make, might make an impression on you or any one of us. Whoever does not put the noose around his neck and hang and then follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take the seat in the electric chair and throw the switch is not worthy of me. Whoever does not step into the gas chamber and drop a pellet in the acid is not worthy of me. That's the kind of impact these words had on Christ's followers in that time. Die to self and follow him. Be willing to trust him fearlessly. It's like, you've left this, left this world. I've redeemed you from it. You are mine now. Burn the bridge behind you and come away. That's fearless trust in Christ. Do you want the power of the Holy Spirit to be evident in your life? You must be willing to trust him fearlessly, completely. You must be willing to suffer. And there's the scary part, isn't it? Well, preacher, does that mean I must look for persecution? Scripture already tells us that he is not going to put you in a place that you cannot bear. He's only going to take you as much as he's only going to give you as much as you can bear. And each episode in your life, it's supposed to make you strong for the next episode. So he's only going to bring it to you stage by stage by stage. Some of you guys, and maybe some of you ladies, have been in the gym where you have to lift weights, pump iron. And you begin at the lightweight part and you build some strength and then you increase the weight next time you're at the gym and you build up. That's the way God works in your life. He equips you to handle this much. No more than you can bear. But that's supposed to leave you with some strength. You've conditioned to that place. And then he'll give you a period of rest and peace in your life. And then another trial will come might not be persecution, but is something else that strengthens your faith. And it's more than you ever thought you would bear. But he's not going to give you more than you can handle. And he builds your strength. And each time it goes a little bit deeper, a little bit broader, a little bit richer. And before you know it, with confidence in Christ your Savior, you're able to help others who are struggling. You're able to share with them what you had already been through. You're able to give glory to Christ in the face of difficulty. You're able to fearlessly trust him and you're experiencing victory. How about that? Does it mean that you look for persecution? No, it just means that you must first in your life, in your spiritual walk, break free from the world. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his name, according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to his image. You're supposed to look like him. You're supposed to be like him. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We're going to see, as time progresses forward, more and more of this world's resistance to Christ and the gospel. You can go on YouTube now and just type in street preacher and you'll see videos of men faithfully preaching on sidewalks and streets and downtown places, public places, and people getting right in their faces, angrily cursing them. And they continue to preach. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. And Paul says, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors. We are more than victors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have been called by Christ through salvation to be faithful to him and to fearlessly trust him. In order to do that, as I said before, you've got to burn the bridge to the world behind you and follow him faithfully. There is little power in a Christian's life when he or she fails to trust his word. You need to know it. That's why we keep telling you, you need to study it. You need to learn it. Tragically, unfortunately, most keep compromising with the world. That's the way you've lived all your life, most of your life, until you got saved, and you just don't know how to live any other way. And it's almost like going through culture shock. Everything is different. We like hearing that. We are new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Now all, thing has, all things have become new. But we still like the old things. It's kind of like our favorite pair of jeans with all the holes and the fade, faded colors and the patches. They're just so comfortable. We'd rather wear that than put on fine clothes. Most keep compromising with the world. I've seen it all of my Christian life. In 2 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul said, Do not be unequally yoked with the world with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness what accord has Christ with Belial or the devil what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever what agreement has the temple of God with idols 
for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling place among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from among their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. You know, the, the most common violation I've seen this growing up, I don't see it so much now. I, maybe it's because I don't look for it. But I remember growing up and I see, seeing a lot of families, a lot of marriages where one spouse is saved and the other is lost. And that's the way they were before. More often than not, I saw it in... I'm not saying, I'm not making a blanket statement, but in my own experience, I saw it where the young woman would fall in love with a young man. She was saved and he was lost. Oh, he comes to church with me and he loves me and he'll get saved if I bring him to church. And once they're married, he never goes back to church again. That's just an example. We compromise with the world. I'm not saying we don't love them. I'm not saying we don't talk with them. I'm not saying that we don't be neighborly to them or, or compassionate to them. But we don't join into life agreements with them. Young Christians, I understand what it's, what it's like to be a young person. I was once. I understand those desires to marry and to have children and to be joined with another. I understand that's, that's, that's almost all young people think about. That's what I used to think about all the time. But you need to be in prayer for yourself. You need to be studying the word. You need to be fearlessly trusting the Lord. You also need to be in prayer for the one that you will one day marry if you're not yet married. Well, I don't know who that is. God does. God knows exactly who he has for you. Be in prayer for them. And while you are saving yourself for marriage... Because you are supposed to flee immorality and fornication. While you are saving yourself for marriage, you need to recognize that you are also fasting. You're doing without that in order that you might have a feast later and an answer to prayer later. You're not supposed to bury just anybody. You're not supposed to be unequally yoked. If you are unequally yoked, or if you do become, or if you're willing to be unequally yoked, you need to expect long-term consequences to you and your family and to your faith. All Christians not just young Christians, but all Christians need to be in prayer for victory over lust. Because the Bible again and again and again warns us to stay away from there.
A story recently read about a young woman who had lived promiscuously, been with many partners, decided it was time in her life to settle down on one man, started dating, looking for one man. And when each one of these men she dated found out how many she had been with is over 50, they all just went away. When a man and woman get alone together, they don't want to be compared in thought or to, in thought or memory to anyone else. You are to be one and only to one another. That's the big danger of promiscuity, a lot spiritually and emotionally, along with the health risks. Ephesians 4, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of, your, of their minds. They are darkened and in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. They are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned in Christ. It doesn't take much to see how much this world is invested in immorality and sensuality. That's the way of the world. That is not the way of the believer. They have become callous and hard-hearted. They have given themselves up to sensuality. They are greedy for it. They can't get enough of it. Every kind of impurity. First Corinthians 6.17, The one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside of the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Fearless trust. For some, it is a call to share the gospel to unbelieving people, to endure ridicule and persecution, sometimes even prison, sometimes even more. Fearless trust for others is just deliberately taking baby steps of faith to develop fearless trust in him over the sins in your own life, over your own lack of understanding. Trust the Lord as he gives you trials and tribulations in your own life, one step at a time. Don't avoid the difficulty. Don't avoid the pain. Don't give in to the world's temptations. Trust God to satisfy your every need righteously. There is nothing in this world that he created and declared good that he would deny you if you just find it 
within the context of his truth and his light and his word. Fearless trust in him will bring you victory in Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day and for this time together. Thank you for your word and its truth. And we pray that it might be instilled upon our lives that we may live faithfully for you. Strengthen us day by day as we follow our Lord and our Savior. It is for his glory we pray. Amen.